Hi everybody, I'm Seth Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Michelle Yule, founder of Forever After. Michelle's business journey began shortly after losing one of her own beloved pets. Unhappy with the service that she'd received following the death of her animal, Michelle took matters into her own hands and launched Forever After. She describes her business as a place where people can farewell their pets, knowing they've been cared for with dignity and compassion. Michelle joins me today to chat how Forever After helped her find her purpose, why pets are family, and the challenges of doing business during COVID. Hi, Michelle. It's so great to have you here on the show with me today. Thank you. Thank you for joining. It's wonderful to be here. Ah, excellent. Now, I can tell from your choice of business that you're obviously a massive pet lover. Can you tell me, did your love for animals start at a really early age? I think I was born loving animals. Um, I've like had animals all my life. I, I can't remember a time when I didn't have them apart from a very, very brief time when I moved out, first moved out of home in uni and uh, that didn't last very long before I, I had another very little companion in my life. Um, animals have just always been what I've been drawn to. What was your earliest sort of memory of, of a pet? Um, I would have to say the strongest earliest memory I have would be firstly my grandparents' little dog. They had a, a little mini poodle um, named Dandy. And then from there would be when I was seven, I got my first pet of my own, which was my first kitty cat called Nero. And uh, having him jump out of a box at me was uh, probably the the really strong thing that that really comes to mind. And so was a career in the pet industry always on the cards? Pretty much. From a young age, I was intent on being a vet initially. Um, I quickly realised you know, in my teens that I probably wouldn't cope emotionally in the veterinary industry because of not being able to, to fix them, having to be the one to actually physically do the, the euthanasia and not be able to to make them better, basically not be able to understand everything that's going on because of the limitations of communication. I, I realised I, I just wouldn't be able to cope. So I started looking down other avenues to still work with animals, things like zoology and, and things like that. And then took a little sidestep after university because of an, a car accident and ended up working in real estate for a while. And did really well at that, but it didn't do so well for me. And just by chance happened to, to fall back into working with animals again in, in terms of choosing to actually start um, forever after. So what was the light bulb moment then for you? What made you decide, yep, I'm going to go into business for myself? And what made you think that forever after would be a great business? For me, it was losing one of my own babies. Um, Forever After actually started as a result of losing one of our little pet rats, um, who ironically was actually named Bunny, short for Honey Bunny. When we lost her, I had a not-so-great experience with organising her cremation services. It was unlike the level of service I had been accustomed to with the crematorium I was using back in New Zealand before I moved over here because I'm a Kiwi, which has probably come through already at some point in my accent. (laughs) (laughs) and um, I started talking to people because I I was it it really threw me it quite shocked me the way the the whole situation was handled and so was there no care what what was shocking about it I contacted the crematorium to see if we could take our little bubba into them after having brought her home from the vet so that the others could see that she'd passed and 
I was just spoken to very, very bluntly. Um, my pet was referred to as an et. Um, I was just told offhand, no, you'll have to take it back to the vet. Um, no offer of condolences. Hmm. It just left me feeling very uncared for and, and like my, my little bubba didn't matter. Um, you know, I understood, you know, this is going back quite quite a time that maybe they didn't have facilities to allow for client drop-offs. I was fine with that, but it was how they spoke to me, you know, that the lack of compassion. Yeah. And the more people I spoke to about my experience, the more I learned that it wasn't an unusual experience. And I found that really disturbing. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Because pets are like your family. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to me, they are my family. I don't, I, I don't have children of my own. I have a stepdaughter and a stepgrandson, but um, I don't have any biological children myself. And my my pets are. I talk to, talk about them as my babies. I actually have to clarify occasionally for people that when I'm talking about my kids, they're actually the furry kind. Don't force <laughs> it. It's okay. And I'm not leaving four year olds at home alone. And my my mum even calls them her grand fur kids. You know, they, they are our, our family. They're our, our everything. And that's the case for the many, many people out there. And it doesn't matter if they're, if they're a cat, a dog, a, a goldfish, a, a budgie, a little ratty or rabbit, you know, or an alpaca even. I mean, we're, we've cared for all kinds of species. And, um, you know, sadly, also the other thing we've found is that the, the industry is very fixated on the, the typical cat dog, the whole pet industry, not just aftercare. It's slowly changing but it's not changing on pace with how people's bond with those animals is changing. So you had this terrible experience and then you thought, I've got to do something about it? Was it as immediate as that? I said something, I believe, to my partner about oh, maybe I should, should just start my own and do it right. And he kind of said, well, nothing's stopping you from looking into it. And so from there I kind of thought, well, true, I I can start researching and so I did and I started talking to people and I was, I was a little bit unsure whether it was something I would be able to cope with it is a very emotional work it's not your everyday kind of interaction and I, I was also concerned about whether or not I would be able to cope with actually performing the cremation process and I kept talking to other people I kept getting encouragement from people that you know I would be absolutely fantastic at it I'm very involved in in pet rescue and animal rescue as well and so you know a lot of a lot of feedback was coming through from there that it would be something that I would be ideally suited to so we decided to test the waters and I found that as heartbreaking as it is to perform the service for them because it's so final that what it means to our clients to know that their baby has been taken care of with such dignity and respect and love and treated like a family member, that balances it out. It, it helps with, with the, the heartache and it gives, me, it gives me a purpose that I was very much lacking even when I was working in real estate. I mean, like, I, I was really good at what I was doing in real estate. I had some satisfaction, but I didn't have purpose. And, you know, it, it was literally just a job well done. This gives me meaning. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that you say that because I think that's the, the journey for a lot of entrepreneurs. It is about finding that purpose and you've been able to find yours, which is great. 
Can I ask, given that you had no kind of experience in that area, was it super challenging trying to set up the business? And also, are there like special laws that have to be taken care of in terms of cremation? Like, obviously, there would be for a human, but are there specific Sadly, when it comes to the pet industry, there is no true regulation, um, which was oh, another really? thing. Yeah, that was another thing. When I found that out, I was just like, oh, my God, somebody's got to change this. Somebody's going to try and make a difference. And, um, I mean, I don't know whether I'll ever be able to successfully push to, to get some kind of regulation or not because you've then got, a, got the aspect of, well, who oversees that, who comes the cost of it, et cetera. Because um, in Victoria, at least every human crematorium is actually state-owned. Um, there's no private crematoriums, whereas the entire pet aftercare industry is completely private. Oh, so it can be a bit of a cowboy industry then? It can be, and um, sadly they are out there. Um, you know, the, I've, I've heard some really shocking stories. Um, thankfully, nothing particularly recent from anywhere close by, but, you know, the, the things that I hear from clients, from other people in the industry, are just absolutely, it, it's heartbreaking. It, it's it's shocking. And, um, you know, I, I just, I want to see that change. And so in, in terms of actually getting started, you know, we didn't face legal hurdles and, and things like that, even in terms of our, our larger machine that we currently have, you know, because it's where we only deal with organic matter and we're not, um, dealing with medical waste or anything like that, um, provided our machine actually meets the minimum specifications for what we're doing, we don't actually require a special permit for it. If we change what we're doing and say, for instance, if we were for some reason, which I have no intention of doing, to go into doing medical waste, we would then have to request a permit and you know, they'd, they'd process that. But otherwise, provided it meets specifications, that it just gets the sign off and um, so we did have to ap- apply with the EPA for that. We were very, very lucky that we were able to use a modified furnace because when we started out, we actually started out specifically with a smokers on uh, sorry, a focus on small pets, so the little pocket pets and little bubbers. So our capacity was anything up to the size of a medium sized cat. We had intended at the time to remain with, with only doing the little ones and so we, we didn't have extensive setup costs thankfully because of what we were able to access we were able to organize a a friend's property to be able to actually do the services and things like that which allowed us to test the waters and so as a result of that my business has actually grown primarily from from word of mouth and referral Um, we we brought a vet clinic on I think in our third year of operation I think it was which was one of the exotics clinics but, um, you know, for, for those first few years, we were. We were only doing the little ones, and we've expanded beyond that only because we had so many clients asking us to do their bigger pets when, when the time came because they wanted us to be the ones to actually look after them. They didn't want to go somewhere else. So we made the decision to accommodate that because it, it made me realise that that standard of care was lacking across the board, not just for little pets, but that clients everywhere with all size pets are expecting a better quality of service, you know, something that's more in line with, with the recognition and the care that we receive as human family members. You know, they're, they're, their pets are their children in, in many cases. Um, you know, even, even those who have 
human children of their own. I, I've had I've had families bring their, their their pet to me who, for them, you know, they, they had their their pet before they had their child, and so they consider them the pet to be their first child. Do you find yourself being a bit of a counsellor in a way because people are coming to you at a time of grief trying to get something sorted for their their you know their beloved pet yeah how how is that for you having to deal with that it can be hard at times um, especially because you know we, we have our own babies unfortunately that means that we lose our own bubbles sometimes as well you know personal things happen during our lives that just you know we, we have no control over too and you can't just shut that off but um you know it's it's something that I can share my experiences my my journey and help other people to navigate their way through what is a journey essentially you know there is no such thing with grieving as closure it's always with us it's just a matter of whether or not we have reached a point where it's not dominating our our lives and you know our feelings you know if you think back to to someone that you love that you lost a decade ago it's still going to hurt but with time, we become able to not be overwhelmed by the pain and to remember the good stuff in the process of remembering them. And sharing that journey helps other people understand that there is a way through. That And, and so, yeah, I, I do. I spend a, a lot of time talking to our clients. Um, you know, I've, I've had clients where they have just called me up and I, I had one lady, she, she rang me and she actually said to me, you know, I, I gave her a little update on how but where things were at with her bubble and and when we were expecting to have a home, and she then said to me, Michelle, I don't I don't actually even know why I rang you, and I said to her, you just needed somebody to talk to who understands, and she did. You know, her her colleagues didn't understand. You know, to them it was just a cat. You know, it's COVID. She can't go and see family and stuff like that. And she just needed to talk to somebody who understood why it was so hard for her. You know, why after a, you know two or three days she wasn't just over it. And so we, we chatted for a little while. We we talked about you know what what it's like when we lose a, a pet. What what kind of things we can expect. And you know, she had some little stories about her bubble and some of mine. And at the end of it, she she just felt so much better knowing that she wasn't alone with it. And, you know, so, so we do, we, we spend time doing that and eventually I'm actually hoping to have, um, you know, a dedicated staff member who is available there for, for clients to be able to, to call and just have a chat if they're struggling. You know, they may not be able to afford or, or know how to access a, a counselling service. You know, unfortunately, a lot of psychologists aren't specifically trained in how to help people with pet loss specifically and it can be a little bit of a challenging thing to navigate especially depending on the the psychologist's own personal connection with animals they may not truly be able to connect on that topic and to be able to then provide a bit of support and then put people who need it in touch with perhaps a specific pet loss counsellor would be quite important to me to, to be able to offer that level of additional support to to the families not just to their babies that, that come in that we care for. It's all about compassion, isn't it, really? Exactly, and that, that's our key thing. I mean, that, that's that's basically the driving force behind everything that we do. You know, any time a decision is made, compassion is, is, is the key factor. Is this compassionate? If it isn't, 
why are we doing it? If it is, okay. You know, it's that that is the the thing that drives our business is compassion for the animals and for the people. And what do you think are the challenges that you've faced along the way? You've been in business for a little while now. What's changed from when you first started to the point you're at now? Gosh, I, th- I think it would just be being able to to keep up with the growth. Where we're just at a point now where we're actually bringing on staff outside of the family, who but basically, you know, they're, they're the kind of people that essentially are family as well for us, because you know, there's just not enough hours in a day for, for me to be able to, to keep up with, with caring for, for everybody. And, you know, we, we just keep we just keep growing. So, yeah, definitely definitely being able to keep up with growth, uh, balancing not growing too fast, which is one of the reasons why we've chosen not to previously push marketing is because we didn't we never wanted to reach a point where we had to compromise on our level of service or turn people away. Mm. You know, because compromising on my level of service is one thing I'm not prepared to do because that is that is why people come to us in the first place. Other than that, I guess it would be the the usual factors that, that everybody faces, particularly over these last um, you know eighteen months to two years with with COVID. You know, all the all the challenges that that presents with lockdowns and stock problems and, and things like that. Yeah, has COVID had a big impact on the business? The, the biggest impact it's had for us really has been. Um, well, for starters, we had a great deal of difficulty getting proper clarity over who was allowed to travel for what reasons. The human aftercare industry was all taken care of, but they sort of forgot about us and, and providing clarity on, on when clients could or couldn't come to us and, you know, being certain that we, we were allowed to, to bring their babies home to them. So as a result, we've been on the road a lot more than we might previously have been just to make sure that our clients didn't get into any kind of trouble unintentionally coming to us to, to pick their bubbers up. We've been getting them back home to them um, wherever possible. But other than that, it's really been just, we, we've been hit really hard in terms of being able to have supplies on hand of, of urns and memorial items for clients simply because everything is, well, not everything, but the vast majority of items are made overseas, particularly in India. And, of course, the lockdowns and things over there drastically affected um, all the supply chains. So there's been a lot of delays in manufacturing and then a lot of shipping delays because of um, limited shipments being able to go out. Do you think you could source local suppliers? We've actually been working on trying to to find ways to do that. Um, Partly it's um, because we are a smaller business, we don't have the buying capacity of the really big crematoriums that are, are caring for hundreds of pets a day. It does limit things in terms of having the cash flow to, to be able to make that feasible to work with local suppliers. But we're, we're looking into into options for that because the other thing is that we made a point of having an extensive range of options available for clients. You know, we've gone to the effort of sourcing different species urns like our bunny statues that we get all the way from the US. I've ordered urns from the Netherlands for a client that was seeking something in particular. So, you know, we don't hold large amounts of stock of just three or four items like a lot of the other crematoriums do. So that that has caused a few challenges, but um, as, as a result of that and wanting to find those more unique and, you know, species-specific or even breed-specific um, options for clients, we are actually looking into local manufacturing options, but it's, it's early days at the moment. So, and made more challenging by the fact that so many industries aren't allowed to, to work or, or travel or, you know, 
meet in person and things like that to to see items properly. Yeah, if you want to get really bespoke, you should maybe try and connect with some artist communities. Yeah, well, we actually have a few artisans that we refer clients to for for special items, um, like specially um, personally made jewellery or you know special made um, urns and things like that. We've got a few that we currently refer to when we have a client where we know that they want something really unique. And can I ask finally, what would your advice be to someone who's thinking about starting a business? They've just been going, oh, you know, this work I'm doing, it's not, it's okay, but it's not. It's not my purpose. What would you say to them? I would say don't quit, but find something to try. Um, you know, you obviously need the stability of still having some income and, and things like that, but find, figure out what it is that you are passionate about and, and test the waters. You know, you, you're, not, you're never going to, to truly know whether something has potential without testing it. It's, it's just like science. You know, a hypothesis is only a hypothesis until you actually do the tests and, and the trials. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. So if you don't start, you're never going to get anywhere. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle. It's been lovely chatting to you today. Thank you. Uh, good luck with the business. Thank you very much. And hopefully COVID turns around soon and we can all get back to living our lives. Yes, fingers <laughs> crossed. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome.